0: Com, I work the number for him.com and now let's go ahead and kick off what we all came here for hearing more about connecting what we learn on Sunday with what we do in our nine to five this is the I work for him podcast
1: thanks so much for tuning in to I work for him this, this day as Martha and I have a really special guest somebody Martha that you've known for a lot of years
2: yeah our lives intersected um, when I was in the book world probably about a decade ago
1: Wow. Okay, so before we get to our guest today, just make sure you check us out online at iWorkForHim.com. That's iWork the number for him com. And also on Facebook, we'd love for to you we'd love for you to follow us on Facebook. Go out there on Facebook, IWorkforHim. And make sure on the website, on our website, you check out our weekly podcast email that we send out, sign up for that because it'll give you the, the podcast links for all of the past shows plus my weekly blog. And you never know what you're going to get in my mm-hmm. weekly blog. This is true because Martha edits it. So I have no idea when I write it, she changes everything and then sends it out there. So <laughs> just just make sure you check that out. That's something everybody should be reading. You know, it's a reality, a daunting reality. We're all aging. In fact, from the day we're born, we're on our way to death. Our days are numbers. It says that in the Bible, but we struggle with that reality all the time. We don't like to think about our frail lives. Most of us, when we get to our 20s or 30s without facing death, most of us get to our 30s and our 20s without ever facing death, even the death of a close relative like grandma or grandpa. But it's a reality. Death is a reality. We're aging, and so are our parents those we love the mom and dad who took care of you each and every day cleaned your diapers taught you good things and bad things who loved you through your teenage years and your young adult years those parents are aging too the time is coming where roles will be reversed and it will be time for you to take care of your parents they'll need you are you prepared what will it be like do you have a plan how will it impact your marriage your family your relationships and your work Today, we have author and speaker, Cynthia Rookty, and her husband, Bill. They're on the air with us. Bill's just going to remain silent in the background. He's the silent, <laughs> quiet type. But Cynthia is going to make up for it and share her story from her book that she just released, As My Parents Age, Reflections on Life, Love, and Change. And it really describes their walk down this path of taking care of their parents. And the book came out just recently. Cynthia Rookty, welcome. I work for him.
3: Thank you so much, Jim. It's good to be here. And
1: and Martha, you have known Cynthia for so long. Talk talk about how you guys, what it looked like when you guys first met. I mean, you were, I mean, authors.
2: Well, you know, when I was in Christian retail, I would often go to conferences and things like that and different speakers and authors would be there. And somewhere along the way, our lives intersected. And Cynthia, you just write in a style that speaks right to my heart. You know, there are some people that you just, when you read their book, you might struggle and go, I just, you know, I can't get into it or whatever. I never have that with um, the way that you write. It's um, very poetic, very real to my heart. And so I gravitated towards that right away. And I love your writing style the way God has just I mean, you have you've been pushing out the books and, you know, God is using you in so many ways. And um, on top of that, I remember specifically one of the um, events that we were at and you did a devotional that really spoke to me. And I went back and shared it with my staff um, and it just just allowing the word of God to come alive through the your heart and sharing. And you have such a beautiful ministry now to women in um, your whole hemmed in hope. And maybe we can talk about that because I think that that would be a um, something people can learn, you know, that that's out there and available.
1: But I would tell you, even though your ministry is to women, Cynthia, I enjoyed your book thoroughly. In fact, it brought me to tears many times. And I think it's the first, I don't know, I think it's the first book of yours that I've read. Martha, Martha mostly gets when she gets your book, she's like, oh, I'm going to read this. You can't have this. <laughs> So we, we fight for books, and, and and I was moved deeply by this book. Oh, and
2: Wait. I didn't mean this one was written just to women. I just oh, mean her, uh, her she know. speaks often in women's groups.
1: I know. This is a book that we think every one of our siblings needs to read, but it was it was really powerful. So I want to thank you for sharing your heart in this book.
3: It was fun. Thank you. I One of the things that I believe I was called to from the beginning of this was the idea of not avoiding the tough topics, mm. because there are a lot of books books that want to skirt around the edges of what are the hard things to to discuss or talk about. And even in novels too, in the novels I write that yes. currently I'm working on my first book released in 2010. And um, it actually released a couple months after my mom died. She had Mm. wanted to see that book on the bookshelves, but she saw an advanced reader copy. And um, that was very precious to her because she'd been a strong prayer warrior for all my writing. But my first book released in 2010, and now I'm working on book 23, I think, Mm -hmm. something like that. So God has really allowed uh, a progression of um, being able to share that kind of thing, whether it's in novels or devotionals or nonfiction is addressing the tough topics, but in a way that is not just palatable to the reader, but that draws them back into the word, points them back to the word, because that's where our resources and our hope is found, Mm -hmm. and then that they can emerge from the reading of the book or from one of the speaking events saying, I have greater courage to say, I can't unravel. I'm hemmed in hope.
1: Well, let's just take a step back for a minute. Talk to us about how you became a Christ follower.
3: That was uh, many years ago when we <laughs> back before plumbing running back water before. and electricity. I'm not kidding you. Pretty close. Uh, we, we. My dad was while he was studying to be a band director. That was his chosen career. He was also a pastor. He was an ordained minister. He preached at three little country churches in South Dakota for a while, and they were South three, Dakota. Yeah, nice. so they were different denominations too. So he would have the same sermon at three different churches, but he had to have different hymns because of course this denomination didn't want to sing those hymns. So he had, he <laughs> printed three different bulletins and yes, most of those churches had outdoor plumbing at the time. But I grew up then in this family that loved Jesus. And for generations mm-hmm. back, we can trace many mm-hmm. of the people in that, uh, in our lineage wow, who were faithful cool. to Jesus. And, um, in this In this environment, I knew early on that God was a good thing and Jesus was a very good thing. And when I was five years old, I was taking swimming lessons that summer and they insisted on the buddy system. And it was the moment where all that loving God and understanding heaven and what that meant came together with the fact that even a child was mortal and not immortal. The buddy system taught me that I can go out into the water and I may or may not come back. Mm. So I came home that day and slammed the screen door in our house and, and told my parents that I knew that I needed to commit my life to Jesus that day. And I probably did it Not necessarily for the purest intentions. They were five-year-old intentions, Mm -hmm. and that was, I just did not want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven when I died and be with Jesus. That was a a good life goal for a five-year-old. So my parents knelt with me at the couch, and I committed my life to Christ and really meant it, even though I was that young. Mm -hmm. And then in my teens, I rededicated my life to Jesus because I I knew that... Despite the things that would make me maybe want to live for myself, I knew that living for Jesus was a much smarter idea. And then in my early 20s, there was another layer where I just felt, all right, I'm all in. I'm going to be all in Hmm. and have have kind of made sure that that was in the forefront of my thinking from that moment on.
1: Now, I want you to know that it's a very rare opportunity that we let a cheese head into the studio, <laughs> yes. having grown up in Minnesota to let somebody from Wisconsin actually on the air with but us.
2: God is a God of
1: miracles. God <laughs> is a God of miracles and forgiveness. So, yeah, you know, there you uh, there's no bitterness here, but we are, we are grateful that you guys are actually with us in the studio. Talk about talk. Talk about tall, dark and handsome sitting here. Um, you and Bill have been married a very long time. But yep.
3: talk about how you guys met. Well, my family had moved. We'd lived in 12 different places by the time I was 12 years old. And then when, or 11 years old, by the time I was 11, we landed in the 12th home and through in the neighborhood and at church was this young man. I was 11, he was 12 and he caught my eye and from that moment on, we, um, there was a relationship even in the grade school level. It wasn't dating or anything like that, but he would bring me candy bars at church and be after the service and to show his affection. And I would gladly accept those candy bars, which explains a lot about what I'm getting rid of today. <laughs> and, um, and
1: your and favorite candy bar would be,
3: <laughs> what is your favorite candy bar? Oh, um, he
2: Snickers. wants to- Oh, Snickers.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we, um, and then of course being In the youth group together and participating in those things, Um, and then Bill went away to college, and I followed him a year later to that same college, a Bible college, and uh, you didn't want to let
1: him go. So you guys met in elementary school, right? And you wouldn't let keep let your eyes get off of him after all those years, and then you chase him to college
3: jim you've seen him what would be why would i want to choose anyone else <laughs> that's awesome he, we married when i was 20 and he was 21 and um our first years of marriage of course were like many are we, neither one of us was mature what were we thinking but but we we had to learn that dance we had to learn that dance of being married and and devoted to one another and the word commitment has just stayed strong in our marriage all these years we neither one of us would say that we have always done everything right in fact we're doing things wrong every day and forgiving each other every day and uh, still learning even at this stage after this many years and how many three, years has it been um, a bunch this summer it's going to be 46
1: <laughs> This summer. Bill gonna... had to give her the sign language well, she, she just knows yeah. if
2: she verbalizes that that people can do the math so <laughs> That was, She's like, she just that told how long they'd got married. Can I avoid the math or not? Nope, we're going to have to go not to with where the math. Is. Right. We don't
3: avoid much. That's right. <laughs> but, but, the, but there is a point to that, too, in that, um, and it that often comes out in some of the books that I write, too, is the idea that marriage is commitment. Marriage isn't about minute-by-minute uh, minute happiness. Mm-hmm. Marriage is about the, the devotion to one another and the devotion, first of all, to what God has called us to in marriage, and that's why we hang on through the tough times and we grow and we get stronger. And, and even at this stage, you're getting stronger and stronger every day. Mm. Mm. Amen. So you mentioned, um, you're on book number
2: 23 in your writing career and, but that all just started eight years ago. So where did the love of writing, how did writing come into your life or was it there and then
3: get to the point of starting to publish? I was in Involved in uh, working in a chemistry laboratory, I thought that was going to be my life's work. I wanted to be a homemaker, stay home with the kids, but I knew that I had to have something. And Bill at the time wasn't working for the early part of this and part of our early part of our marriage. He was in college yet, and and I was working in the chemistry lab. And when I retired from the chemistry lab, I wanted something that would be a brain stimulator more than. Making homemade baby food and changing diapers. So um, I took some correspondence courses in creative writing. The last assignment for the course, last correspondence course I was going to take was to write a 15 minute script for a radio broadcast. I had no interest whatsoever, no training, no skill, no desire, no anything put it off for probably nine months, eventually dragged that assignment out just so I could be done Mm -hmm. with it, and... Two weeks after I received my certificate from that correspondence course, a woman came to our area of Wisconsin from North Carolina of all places and had just been given 15 minutes of free airtime on a radio station that was going to go on the air, a secular radio station that was going to go on the air in her hometown. She had done some work for that Owner for the radio station owner, and he said, you can put whatever program on you want, but here's 15 minutes once a a week. (laughs) And the woman herself, um, I thought that was a fascinating thing, but I still had no training, no experience, no nothing. I didn't count that last assignment. And at the end of our time together, she handed me the address of the station and said, send the first program here. (laughs) And I just told the Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And it's as if he asked me, was I serious about that? And it took about a year for their FCC rulings to all be cleared and everything to to uh, be in place, and it took about a year to write that first broadcast, and, and <laughs> then, or nine months, minutes, I guess. 15, <laughs> 15 minutes. took a year to write 15 minutes. <laughs> so you're to be commended. You're <laughs> to be commended for what you do every day. And um, after the first year of being on the air with a program for the spiritual needs of stay-at-home moms on a retirement community's radio, solely only radio station in that town on a Sunday afternoon at 1.30. There are no moms that are listening to radio at 1.30 on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, we had no listener mail for the whole first year. After that first year, the Billy Graham station in Black Mountain, North Carolina, picked up the broadcast, and then eventually there were 48 stations that carried the broadcast, and it was Monday through Friday, and uh, God... God took it and used it, and then he retired that broadcast in about 2012. My radio partner, who was the other on-air person, mm-hmm. um, is 87 this year, oh. my mentor and friend. And uh, we knew that we would have to eventually retire. That broadcast did in 2012, and already by then, God had in place that the same kind of encouragement that was going on in the broadcast would now be found in books.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. so. so it, the total run, though, of that show was how many years? Thirty-three years. That is
1: absolutely
3: 33 consecutive amazing.
1: years. Wow! Yeah. So people can are those archives anywhere for people to listen to?
3: Um, they are not, partly because we used uh, canned music that needs music licensing oh. and things like that. But mm-hmm. but what was written there is coming out in devotions and and other things too. So, yeah,
1: but you said it was all scripted.
0: All scripted.
1: Yeah, if we had to script this show, well, first of all, I don't know how to do it. (laughs) I'm not a scripted kind of guy, but it's so...
3: So all of that scripting, though, prepared you with your writing. I was writing fiction for those slice-of-life scenes at the beginning of every broadcast, and nonfiction, the devotional parts of every broadcast. Um, So it's, it's unusual for an author to write both fiction and nonfiction, but... I was prepped for it mm-hmm. by the work that God gave me to do for those 33 years. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, we're talking today with Cynthia Rookty about her book, As My Parents Age. If you are facing that situation, your folks are getting older, you're having to just start helping them out just a little bit. This is a book for you to help you prepare for what's on the road ahead. And Martha, we've got a few copies to give away
0: today.
2: We do. So we want to encourage people to start now and call into our listener line. And it is 866-713-9675, 866-713-9675 work is the phone number and if you call in just listen to my message either give me a text phone number or an email spelled out so that I can connect with you and get your information for mailing um, but I don't expect you to remember everything you need to leave so I've I tried to refine that process a little bit but we do have some from the publisher to be able to give away um, so we really want to get these into the hands of our listeners and I will I will say Jim I think our kids have been saying that we've been aging for like 15 or 20 years already so you know at different times. In their life they've been like oh really okay
1: <laughs> yeah i won't tell the audience what i tell my kids all the time but yeah I, they're, i've been prepping them for decades that they will one day have to help me as i help them. reciprocate yeah that's right <laughs> all right so the listener line is 866-713-9675 866-713-9675 that's eight six six seven one three work. All right Cynthia, let's talk about this book this how did this book come to be? I mean it's one of 23 but mm, I've not read your other one so I can't speak. Martha's gotten two she never shares them. <laughs> this book though I, I as I read it I've, I heard your heart
3: thank you I I was actually asked to create this book the hmm. The publisher came to me I did some other work for them through them and um, they, they knew that I wouldn't hold back but they were convinced that we needed something to encourage those who are caring for their aging parents right on the verge of it or deep in the thick of it or maybe even at the very end of that season because there's no other way for that season to end except for the death of the parent and then what so they asked if I would be interested in writing this book, and I was, but then it struck me what a daunting task that Mm -hmm. was. Anyone who's in the midst of caring for an aging parent doesn't have a lot of time to sit and read a textbook about how do you do this, and in fact you can't write a textbook about how do you do this because everybody's parent-child relationship is different. They're unique, and the situations are different, and there may be ill health, there may be good health, there may be mental issues, and there may Maybe none of that. It may be a perfectly lucid parent who wants to go sky- skydiving at age ninety. Is that okay or not? And how do you, as a child, uh, pour into that parent? And how do you work that in also with caring for what are probably your kids still needing help at that? Stage, or maybe your kids have grandkids, and there's right. four generations there at work in the middle of this. So, my heart's intention was what does God have to say about this? Mm. And I thought He probably did have something to say I would imagine so I opened as I opened the word I realized that almost everything he taught in here somehow had some kind of connection to what it means to care for aging parents whether that is in regard to a verse as simple as be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another hmm it applies at this stage of life too and maybe even more so in some ways and I also wanted the chapters to be short devotion like but also share the Stories of what other people had gone through, both the, the good and the heartening stories of those who had had a great experience of caring for their aging parents, and then those who were also caring for parents who weren't necessarily easy to care for.
1: She's recently released a book As My Parents Age, Reflections on Life, Love and Change.
2: So Cynthia, you started to set the stage of, you know, you went to the scripture and said, okay, the the Lord must have things to speak to this book. And you have that throughout your book. And I love the fact that you have scripture for us to constantly go to because that is our guiding light. Mm -hmm. Um, But speak to
3: the format of the book and to those that would be using it. Every every chapter, there are 40, I believe, chapters that are all addressing a, a certain issue on aging it might be when my parents strongest gift is stubbornness or <laughs> when it's time to have the hard talk or when it's taking the keys away taking the keys away uh, all those issues how do i balance what do i do with my guilt because it seems like whether i choose that today i'm with my son who's having an appendectomy instead of with my mother who's having her heart cath i'm i'm going to lose i can't win either way what's what's what do i do with that and so every Chapter addresses one of those topics and we just dig a little deeper into that topic. We use other people's stories who have shared what their experiences have been like. Because we know that there are a lot of people who are caring for someone who is difficult to care for. That's we don't avoid that. We talk about that a little bit too. And then and then at the end of each chapter, there's a, a prayer poem in a way that even if the caregiver has no other time in that day, but to look at that page and to let those words express the prayer that's on their heart, that may, they may not even know how that they can put it into words. Mm -hmm. If that's all they get, they've gotten some meat that will carry them through, encourage them, strengthen their heart as they go through this season. It's not easy for the parent, it's not easy for the caregiver, no matter how what age that caregiver is, and whether they're a full-time caregiver or, or a long-distance caregiver, there's nothing about this that is easy, but it can be tender, and it can be beautiful, and we can find those places where God is going to meet us in that place of desperation, and we're going to emerge from that with some some memories that are going to feed us even long after our parents are gone.
1: What I loved was the story of even the kids who were taking care of parents that didn't treat them well as kids, yet they had that opportunity to serve those parents in their old age. And, and that was moving because I think that would be a difficult thing for me to do uh, just because I tend to hold on to things longer than I should. But I mean, you touched every situation in this book and we're talking with Cynthia Rookty about her book. As my parents age, how long ago does this, this release? It's already released, right?
3: It released in 2017 in June.
1: Oh, so mm. we were one of the last radio shows to get it. <laughs> and,
3: and Where honestly, we can we, spend more time that's right. to right. We've really. known
1: about it for a while, but we've planned this get together for six or seven months for sure. So talk to me about when, when you were writing this, I mean, you've, got, you've got lots of people's stories in here. How, how did you get all those stories
3: connections I've made over the years, I invited them to share their story if they uh, didn't mind having it in the book, and in most cases, I changed the names, and then we, I listened to what they had to say. I saw some common ground in a lot of it, incorporated my own stories, often worked up uh, piece or a portion of their story into something that was from my own experience having a father who died very young at 64 that's way too young Mm -hmm. and he died of a sudden heart attack in the middle of the night and then my mother died at 83 but hers was a very long slow journey with um, congestive heart failure And she, we as a family, this loving family, we say that she was dying for 17 years and she was actively dying for nine years and then she was really, really dying for four. And then finally, as she went into a. Hospice residence facility, that was her option when that time came for what we thought were the last two days of her life, and she lived through that month and the next month and the one after that and the one after that and eventually wound up being nine months in this residence hospice facility before um, before she finally breathed her last breath. And we were gathered around her when that moment came. We sang the doxology when it was over because she got her wish. Mm. She got to see Jesus face to face and be done with the body that had seemingly failed her for so long. But even when she was living in that hospice residence facility, she was ministering to the people there, to the caregivers there in that place and uh, beautiful memories. Yeah, I was going to say, what a precious thing to see
2: God using that circumstance um, for his gain and um, hopefully for the kingdom's sake. So Ephesians six, two and three says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother. Things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. So what does it look like for us to honor our parents as they are aging?
3: That's a very, very challenging question. And mm. and that's one that I think we all have to wrestle with, because sometimes the honoring thing to do is to let them fail. Mm. And just as it is with our children, sometimes we have to let them fail for them to learn a lesson with we're we're always conscious of if the lesson they're learning is a threat to their life that's not the lesson we're going to let them learn we're <laughs> going to step in as parents mm-hmm. and the same thing is true with our aging parents too if it, if it's going to threaten their life then then no but Finding ways that we can create an atmosphere in which they know that they are honored and respected, even then, even when they're having to give up one thing after another. When they're infants, when people, human beings are infants, every day brings one new thing they can, they know how to do. Every week brings one new accomplishment that they can, uh, chalk up to their, on their list. And, and the opposite is true, as we know in aging, that it's, it's for many people. It's every month brings one more thing they have had to lay down. Mm-hmm. They they can no longer pot- possibly go uh, fishing in the wilderness like they used to. They have to fish close to home, or there's a um, or even physical things that they used to be able to do for themselves as simple as opening a jar mm-hmm. and now have to give that up. Okay, I guess I can't open a jar anymore. Uh, all those things. So we it's it's our It's our mandate from the Lord to honor them. And there's no time limit put on that. He didn't say honor your father and mother until they get to be in the throes of dementia. It doesn't say honor them until they've started to be uh, combative. It says honor your Mm -hmm. father and mother. And there's a verse in first Peter that says, Help to guide them on their journey with grace. And it doesn't specifically talk about our aging parents, but it well could. It well could mean that. So my my thinking now too on this whole idea of how do we handle aging parents is help guide them on their journey with grace, Mm -hmm. grace that we're giving, we're pouring out. If we pour out an excess of grace on aging parents, what's the downside of that? There is no downside. Right. So we're
2: talking today with Cynthia Rukty, and she is um, the author of this book that we're speaking about and giving away copies on our listener line. It's called As My Parents Age, Reflections on Life, Love and Change. And you can call into our listener line at 866 713-9675 713-9675 and leave me a little information so I can connect with you and get a book sent your way. And I can guarantee that people will not be disappointed, whether it's for themselves or for someone that they know um, that's actively a caregiver right now. But I really honestly think that before people even get to the point of caregiving, what a great perspective to have and to see that, you know, because one of the things, Cynthia, that you talked on and Jim kind of touched on a little bit is the fact that, you know, not all of us have a perfect relationship with our parents, but there is a time when we need to step into a role that maybe we in our flesh think we don't need to do. Um, And so I think that that for a lot of people, this is going to be something that's going to change them, you know, maybe even way before they're called upon. So can you speak to that just a little bit? Because I think there's a lot of people right now that maybe have tension with their
3: parents and don't know what they could do. I think that's very true. And and sometimes it seems like we have no control over the tension. And But our serving can be part of that tension easing to our serving them in their time of need Depending on the way that we choose to do that, if we come in as bulldozers trying to tell them what to do and 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 make their all their decisions for them, I think one of the one of the rules, if there can be a rule, is to allow them to have uh, pieces of their lives that they can claim that they are able to make decisions on mm. as much as they can. One of the things that was also interesting, and in, in addition to prepping us for that stage. Is the idea that there are readers who have read the book and said, I needed this book three years ago, but reading it now, I was able to let go of some of the guilt. Wow. I was able to get rid and uh, lay aside and just hand over to Jesus all the regret that I was still feeling, because no matter how much we're able to do for our parents, no matter how we do it for our parents, we're all we have a tendency to want to hang on to the guilt and regret for what we, what more we could have done. Sure. But there,
1: and there's nothing you can do about that stuff. That's and, right. and that's what's amazing about your book is that it, it really it helps people work through that all the stages. Cause some people have, as you just said, your mom was dying for 17 years, but was really dying for nine years. I mean, that's a long period of time to be saying goodbye. And and there's some point in time in your mind, you're going, you're probably thinking, and I'm going to say this live on the radio. Yes. You're probably thinking it's time for them to go. This is driving me crazy. I mean, this is getting hard. <clears throat> How do you deal with that? When, you know, we love our folks,
3: but nine years, that was tough. How do you deal with that? Wow. When is this ever going to end? And and it was a hard thing. We loved our mom, but we wanted what we wanted heaven for her as much as she did too. And she would get angry if the doctors would bring her back back from a procedure where she had <laughs> flatlined. And um, I remember very well one time when she was really disgusted that she had flatlined and they they were they brought her back, but uh, because she knew that heaven awaited for her. But part of it was trying, trying to, and we didn't always do this perfectly, of course we didn't, but trying to, to look at the things that were um, building into our relationship still and to let go of the things that were irritating. And some of that irritation didn't dissolve until after the fact. But I remember one really tender moment when, that for the first time i went to bed one night after she had after she was gone that i didn't look at my telephone and wonder if it was going to ring in the middle of the night with the news mm-hmm. that she was gone and um it it took quite a while for me to transition out of that stage and that phase but the joy of knowing that we had loved her and the joy of knowing that she knew we loved her And the same was with my dad who went suddenly in the middle of the night. There was no unspoken word between us. Every time we had said goodbye on the phone, it was I love you. He knew it. We knew it. And that's the way to live without regret.
1: And that's a gift to be able to close it out on good terms. We're talking today with Cynthia Rookty about her latest book, As My Parents Age," And it's all about what do we as kids, how do we handle that time where our parents now need our assistance? You know, it's, it's all gone full circle from them taking care of us to them needing us to help them and eventually take care of them. What does that look like? What's it feel like? What are some of the struggles? This book will answer all of those questions.
2: That's right. So one of the things that we've talked about is the fact that, you know, in the midst of caregiving, this is a great book to be reading, to get your encouragement, to um, to see how some other people have handled things. Because we don't you know, every situation, like you said, is going to be different. There are no two alike. Um, And even for the situation where you lose a parent quickly and you didn't know, you know, you didn't see it coming. Um, Something happened. It could even be a car accident as your parents are aging, you know, that um, that takes their life and you don't have that opportunity to be the caregiver. So I think it's so challenging to say, "Okay, what can I do today, you know, to build into that relationship and to and to love on it? So as we um, wrap up talking about this book, you have your
3: Bible open and have a scripture that we
2: want to hear from. It's
3: a scripture that I often refer to in that idea of being hemmed in hope, and that's that theme that covers the all the books that I write. It covers every speaking engagement where um, I'm able to share with women in particular. But as they've said, this book is for all of us, and this word mm-hmm. is for all Absolutely. of us. From the word Romans fifteen thirteen, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in faith so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as I look at that verse, I I think there's so much in it. It just, it covers everything Mm -hmm. that we will face when we're caring for aging parents too. We need the hope. We need the joy. We need the peace. We need the faith. And we need to overflow with that hope, even in the middle of that kind of situation. And that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. But on the On the page right next to it, I can draw an arrow from the one verse to the other. The verse starts out, may the God of endurance and encouragement. And that package all put together really is one of the secrets of navigating these waters. He's the God of hope. He's the God of endurance. He's the God of encouragement. The closer we draw ourselves to him, the better able we'll be to ride those rough waters. If you get a boat that has a very, very long tether, the boat at the other end is going to be swung all over the place by the wind and the waves. But if the tether is short, then it's going to be more solidly connected to the dock. And I think that that's an analogy that applies in this situation as well. Mm, That's a great analogy.
1: You know, one of the things that I really liked in, in reading your book was My grandmother died of Alzheimer's. And so I remember what those last eight or nine years were like. And I remember the, the arguing years where, you know, the details and you had a a chapter in there or two or five that talked about, you know, arguing with our parents about the details, you know, don't, if they say this happened, just go ahead and go along with it. I mean, there was some pretty radical stuff, and I can remember all the stories. But, uh, it, but talk about how do we deal with it when what our parents say just isn't rational? But we need to. Th- there's no point in arguing.
3: I did some research with uh, the the organizations that work with dementia or Alzheimer's, um, and. One of the main things they said was that you cannot drag them out of the world they're living in out of the mental world they're living in. There's no point in it and all it does is frustrate. So if they're living in 1947 and that's what they're talking about and they talk as if their sister is still alive. We, we don't serve that person by trying to convince them, no, honey, your sister died a long, long time ago. That accomplishes nothing, and the person who is fighting with this dementia that they have no control over is not going to be able to... Uh, comprehend that thought anyway so rather than take that approach if we just enter into whatever planet they're living on it, at the moment if we just walk into the room and we see that they're they they've embraced a baby doll that they had many many years ago and that's bringing joy and happiness what kind of person would we be to take away the doll and say mom you're 87 you don't you don't play with dolls let him play with dolls yeah I, I love that because of the fact that in our rational
2: mind, we want them to be who we want them to be. Okay. And, and our parent and our, our, you know, there's just that role that they play in our life. But I love that you said, why take away that joy? Why take away that moment where they are content?
1: We're talking today with Cynthia Rooktee about her book, As My Parents Age. Cynthia, it was this chapter that, that it was, I'm like, okay. It was your friend Karen. says, uh, this is written by Karen. As my mom started to lose her mental awareness of the here and now, she became so sure of what she thought she saw and heard. She lived in a suite in the lower level of our home. Late one night, I noticed her door wide open, the TV blaring and all the lights on. When I went downstairs to investigate, she said, oh boy, do I have something to tell you. She said a movie production company had come into her house, moved all of her furniture. Then All of her furniture, uh, all of all of my furniture and then all of her furniture and film the movie. She was so surprised I had not heard all the noise they'd made. I tried to assure her that there was no way they would come into our home without permission, nor would they do it while I slept upstairs. I showed her how the furniture was all in place and no lights were on in any other part of the house except for her apartment. She was so sure, arguing vehemently that she'd been in the middle of a movie a few minutes earlier. I argued more. Finally, she sat in her big rocker, folded her arms and said, well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. (laughs) How do do you deal with that?
3: I I think a lot of times we make it much harder than it needs to be. Mm. Uh, I think all of us do that, but... How how wonderful! And the, and that particular woman, Karen, told me later too. She wished that what she had said is that must have been exciting. How does that How does that accomplish anything? It makes the the woman who had that uh, experience that didn't really happen feel listened to
1: validated, and acknowledged
3: sure. and validated and the other woman there was no way that Karen was going to be able to convince her mom obviously they had to just agree to disagree in that situation and that i'm sure that that takes a lot of practice both of my parents in particular they they stayed pretty lucid for most of the most of the time uh, my dad certainly did because he died so young and with my mom she stayed pretty lucid stubborn yes but lucid except at the times then later on when the medication itself was bringing sure. on Yet a third form of that, mm. too. But for the most part, uh, celebrating what we can find that unites us is wonderful. Letting go of the terrible pain that there is when the parent doesn't even recognize who we are anymore. Loving them anyway is as if we're saying, Jesus, I'm getting nothing out of this. When I love my mother who doesn't even recognize me anymore, but I'm doing this for you. Mm-hmm. And God always honors that kind of an act of service.
1: You know, I saw that You know, a lot of your stories of, of people your age and younger who are taking care of parents, it, it disrupts every other part of life. What, what's some of the advice you give in the book of how to deal with those disruptions in life? Because it affects work, your family, especially if you got kids at home. It affects your marriage. It affects everything.
3: Let's talk for a minute about that, about the work idea, because almost the statistics say that almost every caregiver of an aging parent also has a full time job, right. or at least a part time job, and it. Follows them into the workplace, their anxiety, their stress, their the heaviness on them, how the exhaustion, what, the exhaustion. What would, would it be like if all the rest of us co-workers were acknowledging their distress in caring for their parents and finding ways that we could help ease their load. I will take your son to soccer practice this afternoon because I know it's important for you to be there for your mom today. I, it, you know, that whole concept of we you had a whole list king. of things
1: that people could do. I love that. You had a whole list of stuff. And I
2: wonder hey, what that this, list that. was.
3: Yeah. Well, it's in there somewhere. In it. It, was
0: in it.
2: it was a whole list and it. it. was great. But it I'm so it. glad we started that conversation. It was on page 234. Yeah,
3: okay. And gas cards, you know, providing, providing for them in the ways that they're expending everything and finding ways that we can be. Get help to them.
2: So, one of the things without reading the list yet, I just want to talk about the workplace just another minute is the fact that um, that's exactly one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this on our radio program. Because if we see the signs, we know firsthand if somebody is becoming a caregiver or things are, you know, checking in with your employees, checking in with your coworkers, how's it going? Um, do you, is there anything that you need? And being sensitive to that because, again, it's not like, um, You know, when we decide to have a child and we know that we're going to have sleepless nights, you know, this is a phase of life where it's out of our control and it's going to happen when it happens. And being able to rally around our coworkers and employees is very important.
1: So the list that you put in there was really great. But I got just one last question because we're almost out of time. Uh. In fact, we're really close to out of time. Who do you want to read this book?
3: I mostly I would want my idea would be that it's going to affect all of us, whether we are the caregiver or the one being taken care of. So let's just say everybody. There you go.
1: I love that. And it really is incredible. Make sure you check out Cynthia online at Cynthia dot com. That's R.U.C.H.T.I. Cynthia dot com. Martha, great conversation. Can't wait to get this in the hands of our listeners. Really a topic that's that's a. a, a it's it's today. It's a topic today. Most definitely. That we're dealing with. Because
2: we have so many parents that are, eight, you know, they're living a long time and we need to be there for them.
1: Yeah. It's from a, a biblical one. perspective. As My Parents Age by Cynthia Rookte. Thank you, Cynthia. Thank you. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace. It's our mission field. But ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him.